Of course, human marriage is precious in the sight of God. Extremely serious and somber. And yet it also has aspects to it that are rather humorous, especially as marriage is looked at through the eyes of a child. I want to share some quotes from little persons about this. The question was asked to Kirsten, is it better to be single or married? Single is better for the simple reason that I wouldn't want to change no diapers. Of course, if I did get married, I'd just phone my mother and have her come over for some coffee and diaper changing. How would the world be different if people didn't get married? Kelvin, age eight, there should we, sure would be a lot of kids to explain, wouldn't there? What exactly is marriage? Brian, age seven, marriage is when you get to keep the girl and don't have to give her back to her parents. Brian, age seven, said, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me, I'm handsome like anything, but I haven't gotten anybody to marry me yet. Concerning why married people often hold hands, Gavin, age eight, they want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. How do you make a marriage last? Dave, who was age eight, be a good kisser. It might take your wife's mind off the fact you never take out the trash. And then, a whole lot of wisdom in what Natalie, age nine, answered. Don't say you love somebody and then change your mind. Love isn't like picking what movie you want to watch. That's right, Natalie. Absolutely right. We are looking at marriage the maker's way. And in sermons past, we have seen the Lord directly address wives. And in that address, the Lord was crystal clear. Wives willingly obey their husbands Respect them. Husbands, our call from God is equally clear and simple but hard. Sacrificially love your wives. Cherish them. We've seen those things from our central passage for this preaching series of Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. And this morning we come back to this passage to see what God's game plan is For marriage, God has a game plan, you know, for your marriage. There's no one who's married in the sound of my voice that does not have a game plan for their marriage from God. The same game plan for every marriage. Now, those of you who like sports know that a game plan is how you bring something to pass you desire, which winning and beating the opponent. But there are other game plans, like a game plan for cooking, that's called a recipe. Or a game plan for losing weight, that's called a diet. Or a game plan for living within your means, that's called a budget. So you get the idea that there's a game plan for marriage 
by the inventor of marriage, the one who called you, if you are married, into your marriage, and the game plan for every marriage, listen carefully, it's oneness by leaving plus cleaving plus becoming one. God's game plan for every marriage is the same. And that is, he wants you to have oneness by leaving, by cleaving, and by becoming one. That's the big idea of this morning's sermon. And the way that a married couple will best bring glory to God is by becoming one. Not becoming rich, not becoming successful, not having kids that have GPA averages that give them scholarships. God's measure of success for your marriage and my marriage is the same thing. How one are we with each other as married persons? And like I said, God says in this passage that the way to oneness in a marriage is by leaving and cleaving. In Ephesians 5, verse 31, the word of God says, for this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave, there it is, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. This is God's plan. And of course, this New Testament verse is quoting an Old Testament verse, the verse that was surrounding the very time in God's creation history when he invented a man, Adam, a woman, Eve, and brought them together to be married. And at that time, in Genesis 2.18, these concepts were also given from as far back as the beginning of marriage in Genesis, leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. Leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. Now, this oneness, of this target of oneness for every one of our marriages will be the way that we measure how we see life. You should want to see life if you're married in oneness with how your mate sees life. And so oneness of faith, oneness of parenting, oneness of money, oneness of goals, oneness of conversation, oneness of marital intimacy. Now, if you stop and step back from this, and we see that God's will for every marriage is oneness, what do you suppose is Satan's will for every marriage? Aloneness. God wills it that every married couple would have oneness. So Satan wills that every married couple would have aloneness instead. When you stood before God and the witnesses who watched your wedding ceremony, the minute you said, I do, Satan said, you don't. The minute you said, I do, the adversary, the enemy of your soul said, no, you don't. And so whereas you promised oneness in the ceremony, Satan as the adversary who hates what God loves said that he wants you to know aloneness, the barrenness of aloneness instead of the beauty of oneness. Now, God, I, may, I must remind us that God invented marriage for a reason. 
Because the very first thing that the Lord, the creator God, saw in all of his creation that was not good was Adam's aloneness. The loneliness of the man he created in his image. God looked at all the stars and the galaxies, all the flora and the fauna, everything that God made by the word of his mouth. The one thing he looked around when he scoped his creation that he said, that is not good, was Adam's aloneness. So that's what Satan most wants to create in all of our marriages. Aloneness. But God said, aloneness was not good, aloneness is not good, and aloneness never will be good for married people. Aloneness, in fact, is a huge problem because aloneness in a marriage weakens and isolates both partners. I learned this week that lions like to eat zebras. I knew that lions like to eat zebras, but what I learned this week that I didn't know was that if zebras stay in a pack, or even if they just stay together as a pair, Lions get confused because of the stripes on the zebras. They don't know who to attack, so they attack nobody. Aloneness in a marriage is dangerous because it weakens both partners and it isolates them for the prowling lion of Satan to attack. But if we stay together in oneness with the Lord and each other, Satan will not be able to devour either of us. Oh, this oneness is a beautiful thing. Oneness is how companionship blooms. Oneness is how children are best loved and raised. Oneness is how help comes from God and from others to a marriage. Oneness is what brings clarity to purpose and focus and teamwork in a wedding and a marriage. Oneness is how you really have happiness as a married person. And oneness is how married persons can have holiness. God didn't merely give you your husband or your wife for your happiness. God gave you your husband or your wife for your holiness, to make you more holy. One place in God's word where we see the blessings of oneness is in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12. I'm going to make some pauses after each verse I read. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. That's productivity oneness. Verse 10. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion... But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. That's assistance oneness. Verse 11, furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? That's comfort oneness. And verse 12, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's strength. Of oneness. And so, to say it again, the Lord wills that there be oneness in your marriage, whoever you are. And the devil wills that there would be aloneness in your marriage. Now, how do we get this oneness that God wills for each marriage? How is it achieved? God's game plan for marital oneness involves two things leaving 
and cleaving. Leaving and cleaving. Verse 31 again. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. I find it very interesting that the Lord addresses the husband and not the wife first in this matter of leaving one's parents. You might think that the wife would need the stronger instruction to leave her parents than the man. But God starts with the man, starts with the husband, and says, you leave your parents so you can cleave to your wife. I believe the Lord tells the husband to leave his parents first ahead of the wife because a wife who sees her husband successfully do that will likely find it easier for her to do the same with her parents. After all and overall, Consistently in both the Old and the New Testaments, God means for the husband to lead his wife into God's will. You do know that, men. That in the Old and the New Testaments, consistently, God expects us as the husband to properly lead our wives into God's will as revealed in God's word. It's our job. Now let me be the first to admit that it takes a grown man to successfully leave his parents for his wife. A married boy can't actually leave his parents. He's too emotionally tied in. He's still tethered to his parents, so it's impossible to adequately be tethered to his wife. An extreme example, true true example. Third ministry ahead. There was a married boy who didn't live with his wife and his two sons in favor of living with his parents. Why did he do that? Not because he wasn't welcome at his house, not because he was separated from his wife, not because he was divorced from his wife. He did that because he found it too stressful to do the normal things that a husband and a father do. Because he wasn't at all interested in stressful living, like a boy, he pretended that he had no family of his own. Out of sight, out of mind. But what a weak and what a cowardly position of selfishness he took. Sort of like, la, 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 la. Weak and cowardly and selfish. And by the way, the parents of this man were going to have, are going to have a lot to answer for before God, that they facilitated those terrible decisions that he made that contributed to his own aloneness and contributed to his wife's aloneness. Really, you could say that this married boy, husband, wound up being like a helicopter husband. He flew all above his family, landing only when it suited him, and then staying landed only as long as it took for him to start feeling responsible. 
For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so married men who are here today or married men who will hear this sermon by the internet or other means later, we have to ask ourselves a hard question. We have to stand in the mirror and ask ourselves, have I left my parents? Have I left my parents emotionally? Have I left my parents financially? Have I left my parents practically? We have to ask ourselves those questions, married brothers. The homework I would like you to have before you go to bed tonight is to sit with your wife and ask her this question. Do you feel that you are in competition with my parents for my first loyalty? You should ask your wife before you go to bed tonight. Do you feel that you are in competition with my parents for your first loyalty? Guys who are married, we have to make absolutely sure that we have left our parents emotionally, financially, and practically. And while we are at it, make sure that your wife agrees that you've done so. You may think you've left your parents, but if your wife doesn't think you've done so, then you haven't. Our key verse again. Ephesians 5.31, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For this word cleave, in the language of both the Old and the New Testament, the verb translated cleave is an interesting one. Basically, it's a word that means joining together in a permanent way. If you can imagine that you have a home improvement project, guys, that you're working on, you need two planks of wood glued together. And so you go over to JBR Build, you buy these two identical planks, same length, and you decide you need to buy some industrial strength glue, so you do that. You slather that industrial strength glue on the planks, and then you clamp them together and you leave them clamped together for a week in the heat. Now we've got boards that are cleaving to each other. They're glued together permanently. But guess what? If you were strong enough and determined enough, you could break those two planks apart with a crowbar, a sledgehammer, And you could go to town and just work at it, smash those planks, and you maybe could get them apart. But do you know what if you did? Neither plank would have the integrity that they had before they were glued together. They'd be damaged. And if this is plank A, then part of plank A would still be stuck to plank B. And part of plank B would still be stuck to plank A. In our home, Beth and my home, we told our children when they still live with us that for us, divorce was a swear word. 
And I would regularly, in front of the children, say, kids, I'm never going to divorce your mother. I'm crazy about her. And Beth would regularly say in front of our children, children, I will never divorce your daddy. And then just to gross them out, we would smooch at the dinner table, big, long kisses. And the kids would go, oh, that's gross. One of the reasons I did that, one of the reasons Beth did that, was do you know what those children face when they go to the government school or the private school? They face that 50% at least of their classmates have parents that have divorced. So these precious children, their number one fear is nothing to do about getting a good education. Their number one fear is nothing to do about getting a good job. Their number one fear is nothing to do with global warming. Their number one fear has nothing to do with cancer. But right up there with crime, their fear is that my parents will get a divorce. Because when they look around the world, half of their friends, that's what's happened. And a divorce is worse than the death, in my opinion. Because with divorce, the corpses walk around in the children's lives. And so please note that using this gluing illustration of cleaving, remember the verse says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In this command, this blueprint, this game plan from heaven that married people would leave parents and cleave to each other, it's the husband that's supposed to do the gluing. The husband. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. We who are married men, we are to initiate the gluing between ourselves and our wives. Not our wives. Our wives are not having to initiate the gluing. We are. The genders are preciously different in so many ways. For us both to feel secure at night when we retire to sleep overnight in the parsonage, it's my job by my choice to lock up every door into the parsonage. It's my job every night. I put a stick in the track of the sliding door to the patio every night. And when I initiate those security measures, Beth feels more secure than if I said, you lock up the house, Beth. And so the married couple that are cleaving to each other, when the husband initiates the cleaving by leaving his parents, then the wife will respond in kind. She will be cleaving to her husband permanently, securely. Husbands are to cleave to their wives. Husbands are to be the glue that the boards A and B stick together. Because when we initiate the cleaving, guys, our wives will respond in kind. That's how we're made. And so, so far in this game plan for marriage, we've seen two things, both on the husband. The husband leaving his parents and the husband cleaving to his wife. 
Why does God want those two activities to happen? Simple. God knows those two activities lead to oneness. God's desired outcome of such leaving and cleaving is becoming one. And let me ask you a question. You've, many of you have lived a lot of life. As married person, you lived a lot of life single, maybe before you got married. A lot of you have lived a lot of life. Let me ask you this question. Do you suppose that it's possible for a husband to properly leave his parents and to properly cleave to his wife, and the couple still feels alone and actually is alone and not one? You want to believe that's possible. Because leaving really is independence from former first loyalties, and cleaving is really permanence in covenant. But, however, independence plus permanence does not necessarily equal oneness. You can leave your parents, you can cleave to each other, but it doesn't necessarily add up to oneness. Over the years of being a pastor for over 35 years, I think of the married couples, Christian married couples who I've worked with, who are not still attached to either of their parents. They were not divorced, but they had separate bank accounts. They had separate churches. They took separate vacations. They had opposite philosophies of parenting. They socialized in separate circles. This is all aloneness. They watched separate televisions. They talked very little beyond survival talk. What's survival talk? Survival talk is the bare minimum you have to talk with someone to live with them. Like, how late are you working today? Are you going to pick the kids up from school? Did you pay the rent? Would you buy some milk? Did you feed the dog? What have you got planned for Sunday? Survival talk. This is what these couples reduce conversation to. Just survival talk. They didn't talk about their feelings. They didn't talk about their fears. They didn't talk about their problems. They didn't talk about their hopes and dreams. Busily, these couples scurried around in separate daily orbits from each other. They disagreed on biblical doctrine. They hurtfully compared someone else to their spouse, saying the cutting words, I never should have married you. These couples who had leaving and cleaving down pretty good but still were not one were comfortable being apart. They chose, rather, to be apart. They were uncomfortable just sitting together in the same room. These couples, some of them were running each other down with the children or with outsiders to the marriage. They could not have told you the last time they laughed together. They could not tell you the last time they touched each other in a non-sexual way. These Christian marriages that were alone and not one had very poor communication. They talked over each other. They were passively distracted and listening to each other. 
fixated on the television screen or the computer monitor or the electronic device, and the best that they could muster up when the other one was talking to them was, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. They spoke to the other only through a child. That's called triangulation. When you don't have a relationship with your mate and you try to get to your mate through a child, it's called triangulation, and it's extremely harmful. You get the point. They were poor at communication. They were also poor at admitting when they were wrong. They were poor at conflict resolution. Pardon me. They were poor at asking for forgiveness, and yes, they were even poor at giving forgiveness. And they slept in separate bedrooms. Have they left their parents? Some of them, yeah. Were they cleaving to each other and death, till death parts them? In some manner, yeah. But had they become one? No, not even close. With all of those many unshared aspects of life, both of the married people in these marriages felt like they were living alone. And that's not a good feeling. Our son, JD's, he's so funny. He said to me one day, he said, Dad, do you know that a cockroach can live for seven days without its head? (laughs) Then he said, but those can't be very good days. Bless you, for some of your marriages, they haven't been very good days. There is a lot more aloneness than there is oneness. It's painful. It's frustrating. I've been at this long enough in ministry that some marriages that I look at from the outside look fine. That's fine. But when you lift the hood up on these marriages, you find two alone people. Alone in their loneliness, alone in their pain, alone in their coldness, alone, alone. When you lift the hood of some of these marriages that look okay, you find the cancer of aloneness. And aloneness is the silent killer of marriages. You feel alone? There's hope. It's about 30 yards from the sanctuary to the Christian Counseling Center, 30 yards. As I've been preaching about oneness and aloneness, and you've been saying in your heart, boy, I'm alone. Would you make the short walk this week from this building, 30 yards roughly, to the Christian Counseling Center? It may be the shortest, hardest walk you'll ever make that will have the biggest difference. My husband won't go with me. If he won't go with you, you walk it alone. My wife won't go with me. If she won't go with you, walk it alone. 
And I'll guarantee you something. The first time you walk from here to the counseling center, the 30 yards, that will be the hardest time you do it. Every time after that will get easier and easier and easier because you'll be getting biblical help to have a different, better marriage. It is only Jesus who can subtract your loneliness. It is only Jesus who can add oneness. It's only Jesus who can divide wrong first loyalties. It's only Jesus who can multiply joy. He can do all of those things. He's eager to do those things. We'll see next week why he is so eager to repair marriages where there is aloneness. Because marriage is the only miniature object lesson of anything which God has left on planet Earth for the church and those outside the church to see how Christ and the church interact. So you can know that Jesus Christ has a vested interest in your alone marriage being healed. Jesus Christ has a vested interest. If you have a marriage that is one, that it be safeguarded and never become alone. God's game plan for your marriage is oneness, which is achieved by leaving plus cleaving plus becoming one. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it not only calls us up to your standard, but in the person of the Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God, resident in the child of God, that the power to live up to this standard of oneness is there. Lord, for any men who have not left father and mother, may this be a Sunday of repentance when they choose to do that in a way that their wife will notice that they have. And Lord, for the married men here today that have not initiated cleaving to their wife, may they initiate that. Look her in the eyes and say, this is until death us depart. I'm not going to gain the things I need from my parents, the things I need from my church. I'm going to gain the things I need from my Savior and from you, my wife. Then, Lord, Put us on high alert for anything that contributes to aloneness, anything that traps us in aloneness. May we be vigilant to get rid of those things that promote aloneness. And as couples, may we run with enthusiasm to all the things that are available to us to give us oneness. 
Lord, be glorified in my marriage and be glorified in all my brothers' and sisters' marriages. And for the single person listening, perhaps the engaged or those that would prayerfully wish to be married, may they understand that aloneness is what it's all about to avoid. And oneness is, in fact, what it's all about to chase. And we ask these things, grateful for your promised presence in our lives, grateful for your power to make it different, grateful for marriage, the blessing of marriage. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name together. Amen.